Well, as you know, I love to start with a good story or a bad story, generally a personal story, about the text or what led me into the text. I'll tell you that at the beginning of this last week, I knew vaguely that I was preaching about something that happened in Jesus' life and that uh, it would need to be something that spoke to me and spoke to us about how to be. And I came up early in the week with uh, a thought that I would do the story of Jesus uh, going to the temple and turning the tables over. And, you know, hence the play on words, turning the tables. Uh, and so, being the religious scholar that I assumed I was all week long, I was sure that I knew what this text said. I was absolutely positive beyond any doubt that it was all about Jesus' righteous anger, and I was prepared to talk about what Jesus' righteous anger was directed at, and all of that good kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I glanced each day, read through the text itself, looked at it a little bit, thought about it a little bit. But, you know, I had Jesus as righteously angry from the beginning of the week. So I read the text in Matthew and just read right into it that there was Jesus, Mr. Mr. Angry Man, Mr. Righteously Indignant. I was sure of it. And so I was so absolutely sure of it that it was a slap in the face yesterday when I sat down in my quiet afternoon. Linda was out doing some work. Joshua was out um, in the process of moving stuff to his new place where he's going to live, uh, moving things in so he wasn't at home. I was by myself. The dog sleeps 90% of the time. So she periodically came over and said, dude, what are you doing? And I said... I'm still doing the same thing. Okay. She goes back to her bed, lays down. That's pretty much my life with the dog when it's just the two of us. So you can imagine my surprise when all of my assumptions about this text came and hit me in the face. So much so that not only did I read the text again and again and again in the New Revised Standard Version, I made copies of and looked at the Common English Bible the message, because I was sure it had to be in the message. I mean, if it's not anywhere else, it's got to be in the message. And I also looked in the voice. Another translation. Yes, there are a gazillion translations, and every single one of them is an interpretation of this Jesus guy. I want to tell you that in only one of them was there even the implication that Jesus got angry in this process, and it was in the message when the very last verse was that Jesus was fed up and left town. You know, that was it. The whole time I was prepared to talk to about anger and dealing with anger. And perhaps I was trying to deal with my own because it isn't in here. It is not. Listen to these words. Now, there's some anger in here, but it's never attributed to Jesus in this passage. It's never attributed. Now, he does some things that you could easily think have something to do with anger. And if that's the case, that's fine. But it does not say those words. All right, if I've thrown you off sufficiently, I think we should begin by reading the text now. So it's from the 21st chapter of Matthew. This story appears in, uh, in one form or another 
in Matthew, Luke, and John. In Mark, Jesus goes to the temple and then he leaves town. There's no, what he does at the temple is left out. Goes to the temple, then he leaves town and goes to Bethany. But Matthew has got a little text here, so we'll go for it. Beginning with verse 12 of chapter 21. Then Jesus entered the temple, so far so good, and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame then came to him in the temple and he cured them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the amazing things he did and heard the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became angry. Now, there it is. They became angry. I don't ever, well, in any case, let's not stop. They became angry and said to him, do you hear what these, these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you ever read the Psalms? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. He left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to God. Now, you can imagine my consternation when I had a plan about what I was going to say, and the scripture did not say what I needed it to say. I thought to myself, well, maybe I should look at the Luke text. Maybe I should look at the John text because I needed to say what I wanted to say. Have you ever gone at anything in your life where you made some assumptions before you even got there because you were sure you knew what the answer was? And guess what you discovered? You were wrong. But just to be sure, you checked a whole bunch of extra sources just to be sure it was you that was wrong and it wasn't the Bible or some other text that was wrong. It couldn't be that James, your pastor, is wrong. Guess what? It could be. Your pastor was wrong. So then I had to start completely rethinking everything I was thinking about this text. What is it all about? Yes, Jesus goes into the temple, and it's really not the temple proper, it's the temple district. And just to give you a sense, imagine, imagine if you will, if you belong to a church, or if you know of a church, that you have the worship center, perhaps a space where you do worshiping, maybe it's, maybe it's your fellowship hall, it can be any number of spaces, a large enough space where people can gather when they're allowed to gather during non-COVID-19 times, uh, there's a space where you actually do the worshiping thing. Then there's kind of an outer courtyard where people invite you, you know, where somebody meets you and hands you a bulletin or a piece of paper. If you come to St. James in person, someday it'll happen. They'll hand you an update or offer you one anyway. An update is just our weekly sort of newsy piece of, uh, I've, I've forgotten how to make them because it's been so long since I've had to make one. So in any case, uh, they hand you something. Now imagine outside of that on the front lawn of the church that maybe you go to. Now, I'm making a lot of assumptions about churches that have front lawns because if it's meeting in a warehouse or if it's meeting in a storefront, you don't have a front lawn. 
but you get it. Outside the front of the building, that's where you see people maybe gathering informally, chatting with each other before they come in the building and start to get serious about the religious thing. That's really where this was. The, the money changers and the sellers of sacrificial animal and those kinds of religious paraphernalia were all in what was called the court of the Gentiles, which was a court anybody could go into. You didn't even have to be a, a, a Jew to go in to that court. Anybody could go in that one. And there were people who changed money for you, and they needed to change money for you. Why? You're thinking to yourself, well, why? If you come in from out of town, do you need some different kind of money? Well, the reason was, of course, if you had something like Roman coins, they had a picture on it, and the picture was of Caesar. Well, you think that's no big deal. I mean, look at all of our money. It's got pictures of former presidents or uh, you know, secretaries of the treasury. The first one, Hamilton, is on one, at least currently, I think. Uh, and you know, Benjamin Franklin, well, I guess he's not a president. I, so key important people are there, but we don't worship any of those people as God. If you come to the temple district with something that has Caesar on the front, the Romans proclaimed Caesar, uh, Caesar proclaimed himself as the God of the empire. So you couldn't be having other gods that you were giving over to temple money. So you had to change it into local currency, which didn't have a picture of, of anything in particular on the front. So you needed to be able to change your money. And it was a lot of trouble to carry all of your sacrifices from a long distance. You know, even if you had your own flock of sheep, how likely are you to really bring along a sheep from, say, 50 miles outside of town? Probably not. But you could pick one up right there in the outer court. So this is where we are. Picture this. This is where Jesus comes to the outer court where everybody could have been. That is uh, Jewish folks, non-Jewish folks, Gentiles. There were probably some Roman centurions standing just outside of that court, maybe inside that court, we're not sure, you know, protecting and making sure people didn't get out of control. And there were also the temple police right there. And Jesus comes in to the temple, apparently, uh, and starts turning over the tables. And they mentioned two tables specifically. Did you notice? The money-changing temple and the dove, sellers, uh, the dove sellers table. You might say to yourself, well, didn't everybody sacrifice uh, doves? No, only the poor. Only poor people sacrificed doves. Everybody else bought something better to sacrifice as a way of honoring God. All of this is a wonderful circle to say, why, why did it make Jesus, if he had been in the temple before, and let's be honest, he has been in the temple before, why was it this time? Why was it this time that it just ticked him off so much and it didn't tick him off? We don't even have that it ticked him off. We have that he drove out, that is, made them leave, get out. Maybe he said it really nicely. It never says angrily. He doesn't shout or scream. There's no, Jesus, it's Jesus said, not Jesus shouted, get out, get out, you slimy scrimballs. He didn't say that. He drove them out, drove them out. 
And then he turned over, apparently, two tables and caused a ruckus. And of course, the backdrop of that is their children dancing around, singing, Hosanna to the son of David. And this is ticking some people off. But the people it's ticking off is not Jesus. It is the high priests, we're told, and the religious lawyers or scholars, the, the people who made sure that you followed the rules, the religious rules, the religious police, if you will. They were the ones that were upset. They were upset because Jesus turned tables over and made a mess and, you know, caused a mob scene, so to speak, and because, of course, the children were singing Hosanna, praise, to the son of David. And all of this ticks them off. So they confront Jesus. And they, it's interesting, they, you know, uh, they're either incensed, outraged, indignant. I mean, I found all sorts of translations about them, uh, about how they felt about this. But they uh, confront Jesus, dude, did you hear what they're saying? And Jesus quotes the Psalms. Jesus says, haven't you read the Psalms? Perhaps I should just refresh your memory. You know, uh, in the Psalms, it says, out of the mouths of of essentially infants and toddlers will come the praise of God. And of course, at this point, you've got to think the religious scholars and the high priests are pretty ticked off. And Jesus just leaves town. It's, it's okay, I'm done. I'm finished for today. And he heads back out to Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, walking distance, if you will, and uh, spends the night. So what does this have to do with us? You know, I grew up, uh, you know, and I, I knew people who argued that this text said we should never sell anything at church. So when the youth group would do a, a fundraiser and we were selling uh, Innisbrook wrapping paper, not to give them free, uh, uh, you know, free uh, publicity, but that's what we would always sell. And there would be people who would tell me they wouldn't buy it from me because... Jesus was completely against buying and selling things in, in church. First of all, this is the temple, it's not church. It wasn't even inside, it was outside on the lawn. Was that what it was really all about? Well, some people apparently think that. I've heard at least one sermon, which is where this expression got in the back of my mind. Somewhere along the way, in my formative years, some preacher said that Righteous indignation, the righteous indignation of Jesus in this situation says that we shouldn't be angry, but we could be righteously indignant. There isn't anger. There isn't, Jesus doesn't have that. So I have been carrying this false impression my whole life. So if you've had that false impression, I need you to put it aside. Jesus doesn't get angry in this one. He doesn't get angry in the Luke one. And he doesn't get angry in the John one. They all three. No, there's no anger on Jesus. Anger of others, not anger of Jesus. So it can't be about righteous indignation. I'm not stalling. I'm just telling you what it can't be about so far. So what do we have? We have some tables turned over and sellers being driven out of the temple. Why is that? 
What might be the problem with that reality? He calls them robbers. He also, in one translation, is thieves. <laughs> you know, he calls them a variety of, of uh, you know, that you've made this a den of robbers, a den of thieves. Um, stealing from other people, something. Now, there might be a hint in two things. The money changers. Does it really matter what form of money it is that you give over if you're giving your temple tax? You know, does it really matter? That could be what he's saying. But I want to focus in for just a second on the dove sellers. That's where you went if you were poor. If you read about Jesus' own dedication at the temple, we know that his family was poor. And how do we know he was poor? Because Mary sacrificed doves. And the book of Leviticus, I don't quote from it very often, but the book of Leviticus is clear. If you are too poor to sacrifice a lamb or a ram or something of value, you're allowed to sacrifice a dove if you're poor. So the table where they sold poor people a sacrifice so they could make their lives right with God. Can you imagine a God who is less accessible than one you've got to pay money to placate? Pay money to placate. Now, you know, maybe in good church, uh, if I convinced you that you could placate God by giving us a lot of money at St. James, maybe that'd be a good reason for me to tell you that was true. But the bottom line is, I think that what Jesus finds a challenge with is not the actual trading, buying, and selling as much as anything that can be an impediment between a person and God. And anytime we make our religious requirements so high that someone can't afford to have a relationship with God, we've made the price higher than it could possibly be. Because guess how much a relationship with God is going to cost you? Besides your whole life, besides giving it all away, it's going to cost you exactly nothing. We don't want to place impediments between you and God. In fact, Jesus has got some other teachings about that. If you become an you might as well just tie a, a loop of stone around your, uh, you know, your ankle. That's not your wrist. Your ankle and go jump in a lake. If you want to be a stumbling block to somebody else, uh, an impediment to someone else, Jesus is concerned that anything should stand between us. I, at least that's what I read. I read it over and over again. He's not angry about it, but he doesn't want any, maybe he is angry about it, it just doesn't say it in the text. He doesn't want anything, any religious barrier to be drawn that would stop us from allowing any person access to God. Any person access to God. One more time, any person access to God. Nothing, nothing should be placed in between a person and God. And it certainly ought not to be what we expect people to wear when they come to church, if they ever come to the building again. It's not an if, it's a when. I know it's a win. It starts to feel like an if after almost a year. 
But uh, when we come back together in person, when we are safe to do so, then we don't care what you wear. We used to have a member at St. James that several people nicknamed Pajama. And her name, I'm not gonna say it out loud. She's, she's not alive anymore, but they nicknamed her because she came in her pajamas. She, before it was fashionable. I know everybody wears pajamas in public now. You know, I go in the store, it's like, oh, I could have worn my pajamas. But uh, everyone else is. But uh, she wore pajamas on Sunday because she got up out of bed, rolled out of bed, put on her coat, and came to church. And it was, they were always tasteful pajamas, don't get me wrong, but they were pajamas. Because we didn't care what you come to church in. What we care about is that you fall in love madly with this God who, who wants you, who wants you to be present and connected. And I think Jesus, seeing all of this commerce going on, recognizing that it, it's, it's a distraction, it's a distraction from what we need. When I look at this, Jesus turns over these tables. Jesus drives out the sellers and immediately following that, heals the blind and lame. One of the texts says there was room now for them to come in. I don't know if that's, uh, I don't know if that's really true. That's another one of those things that the text doesn't really say, but the writer, that's the message version, uh, throws in there. That's his interpretation. Now there was room for the blind and the lame, so they came in and Jesus healed them. I don't know that there wasn't room for them before, but there certainly is not the distraction of all the money and buying and selling doves. There's just healing. And all of that, all of that stirs up the religious people because this is how they make their life figuring out exactly what the requirements are, what they need, who they need it for, why they need it, how much it's going to cost them to make those things happen. So as we answer those kinds of questions, as we ask what it is this text wants from us, it wants us to keep ourselves from ever, ever, being an impediment to someone else, no matter what rules we think are important in our lives, rather that we be open and inviting and that we open the door. The text is not, as I was hoping, and write an invitation for us to be righteously indignant because I'm always looking for a good chance to be angry when it, it's comfortable for me. Um, but apparently uh, I've got to work on that too. Jesus invites us in this text, we see in Jesus the removing of any impediment, any implication that there is a cost, a financial cost to knowing him, even a sacrificial cost. He clears that all away. He shines a light on it, offers healing and hope in the midst of it all, and then steps out, goes out of town at least for today. Jesus wants us to know we're welcome. There's space for us, no matter whether we're blind or lame. One other note about the blind or lame. 
they weren't required to come to temple. In fact, in some instances, they weren't allowed to go into temple because they weren't perfect themselves. That was also a Levitical law. Jesus cures those who had any impediment to worshiping God in the temple. God doesn't want anything to stand between you and loving God. And certainly not us religious people. If ever we do something at St. James that stands between you and God, I want you to call us out. I want you to call us out. I want you to say, James, what you said on Sunday made it impossible for me to worship God. I want you to talk to me about it. And maybe we'll find a way around it. And maybe the next week I'll have to preach a retraction. You know, that does happen every once in a while. Uh, you're right. I'm wrong. Um, but maybe we can find a way to be in dialogue and open and find a way beyond all the impediments, not the money changers, not the dove sellers, not our own physical limitations. All of those things are set aside for that full connection with God. And Jesus opens that door. That's what I see in this passage. Jesus is opening the door, saying to you, you are infinitely precious. You are unconditionally loved. Let there be no impediment to loving God back through the grace and love of Jesus. Let nothing stand between you, nothing.